<laughs> so, so somebody told me that looks like Alex Sorbello. I, I, so I, I, is he here this morning? He's, he is in the back. See, Alex is in the back. Now, now he is a much thinner and much better looking man than what was on the screen. But, but if you want to see what a better looking version of the Alex is in the back, he's, it is not Alex, but uh, there was somebody that said, that looks like Alex. And I was like, man, you're right. It kind of does. Kind of does. So we are in, we are started off this uh, series on the book of James. We started last week. We're continuing on it this week. And so uh, we are still in chapter one. There's five chapters. Um, maybe this will take the rest of the year. I'm just kidding. It won't. Don't worry. We'll move a little quicker than that. But, but we're in the, we're in the, uh, the book of James. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up the James chapter one. That is where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. But before we get into the book of James, before we really get into it, I want to talk to you about this idea of of how to get rid of rats. I I know. Rats, right? Like the little furry things with the tail. And how many of you guys like, anybody like rats? There's rat, people have rats for pets. Does anybody have a rat for a pet? Yeah, there's people that have rats for pets. That is disturbing. But but there's like this rat infestation in, in, um, in uh, South Australia, there was a rat infestation in 1998. It was written about all over the, the world. And they're talking about how um, they destroyed all these crops with the, the rat infestation. And so what, what happens is they have a rainy season. They have extra crops. And then all of a sudden, all these mice and rats start breeding. And then by the time you realize that it's a rat infestation, it's too late. It's already taken over everything. And so they would go out at night. You can go on YouTube if you have the stomach for it. And you can watch this thing where they go out at night and they flip on a flashlight and scan like a whole farm. And the whole ground is just a giant moving structure of, of mice and rats everywhere. And, and, and they're crawling in the barns on the rafters and they're falling. How do you get rid of rats? You know what? Here's how they get rid of rats. They use poison to get rid of rats. Right? They, they, they feed them something and the rat eats it and dies. Now, I, I've... I don't know if you know this, but if you're trying to get rid of a rat with poison, um, if you just put a bowl of of just straight poison in in a thing and you decorate it and bedazzle it and make it look nice and shiny and and do everything you can, they're not going to come and eat it. You know what they do is they actually put it in the middle of food and say, have this this, uh, poison. They mix it into the food and it's actually only 1% of the food is poison. The rest of it is food. And then they have a slow acting poison so that the mice, they come and they eat the food. And by the time they die, it's been enough time between the pile of food and the death that, that they don't correlate that it's the food that's killing them. And so the rats keep coming, they keep eating it, and it's only that 1% of, of poison that's in this delicious bowl of food, but it, but it ends up eradicating the rat problem. Ends up eradicating the rat problem. But, but I got to say that we're kind of like those rats in some way. You're crawling over the place, swinging from the rafters. <laughs> but you know what happens is we end up getting killed by our own desires too sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, like if the desire looks enticing, in fact, you go to, to, to that thing, you, you, know what, you know what that thing is in your life, that thing that you know you, you don't want to do. In fact, Paul writes about it in the scripture. He says, I don't want to do this thing, but I find myself doing it. I know I should be doing that, but I find myself not doing it. Every one of us has these struggles from time to time in life, and, and you, know, you know what the temptation is in your life. And we're going to look and see that different people struggle with different types of, of temptation. But see, that temptation, it looks good, it tastes good, but there's laced with poison that eventually kills you. It eventually kills you. And so in James chapter 1, we're in verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12. 
And it says, blessed is the one who perseveres, perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love. So I'll pause there for a second. Last week, we talked about how everybody has to face a trial. It's not a trial. There are trials, multiples, right? We all face trials in our faith. In fact, as a believer, you're still going to face trials. The trials are still going to come. And, and at times, I even think as a believer, you face more trials than those of an unbeliever sometimes. But, but the good news is that Jesus is with us. His Holy Spirit is in you, and he helps you get through those trials. He, he gets you through those things uh, in, in your life. So we all face trials, right? We all face trials. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away from their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good thing and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all created. So, number one is this God does not entice to sin. God does not entice to sin. James in one James one two we talked about trials are inevitable. But in James one thirteen we see that in this age temptation is inevitable. So when we're tempted, sometimes we're tempted to shift the blame of our temptation onto other things. Think about it. Even Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Adam ate the apple and he says, oh, it was a woman's fault. She made me do it. That didn't work out so well, did it? You know, sometimes we're still tempted, aren't we? Like we have a temptation, we fall into sin, something happens in our life, we get into a trial, we want to blame somebody and that somebody's not going to be us, right? We're going to blame somebody else. We're going to blame the circumstances. It was my boss's fault. It was my spouse's fault. It was, it was my kids. It was, it was my this. It was my that. It was, it was this thing. It was, it was that thing. But listen, God is not the person who entices you. He is not the person who tries to tempt you into doing sin. In Proverbs 19.3, it says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 7, uh, there's a famous parable that Jesus says, and he talks about the plank in your own eye versus the speck in somebody else's eye. Sometimes we want to blame the other people more than we want to look at our own self. So God is never the source of our temptation. It said in there that God cannot be tempted, and God tempts no one to do evil. This does not mean that he'll not bring trials. It does not mean that, that you will not go through a hard time, and maybe temptation will be present. But he's not the one trying to tempt you into sin. The enemy is the one who's trying to do that. Satan, the devourer, the one who, who is the father of lies, he's the one that's out tempting you and trying to get you to trip into sin. It is not God who is doing that. So when we feel to the pull towards sin and rebellion, we are never allowed to shake our fist at God and say, you made me this way. Temptation does not come from the Lord. It actually comes from a different source. The second thing that we see in here is this, number two, is, is our natures make sin enticing. Number one was God does not entice us to sin, but number two is, is our nature makes sin enticing. So just as with the rat, we drink the poison of sin because we are enticed by our desires. We are enticed by our desires. Nobody wakes up in the morning with a wonderful wife and kids and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick up that needle and get addicted to that drug, destroy my entire family, and go live under a bridge and be homeless and, and have this massive raging addiction. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says that. 
It's the little things that start to take us one step at a time and one step at a time and one step at a time. They don't pick up the needle and they say that. They don't. The result of our sin ends up being in in death, but nobody thinks about the death when they're looking at the enticing men. Satan's smarter than that. He knows that if he wraps that thing up in a nice pretty package, it's just that 1% of poison in that bowl of food. He knows that that I'm going to make it look real pretty. I'm going to make it taste real good. I'm going to make it smell, and and all your senses are going to be tantalized by by what the packaging is. The temptation is there. The desire is an intense longing, which which, uh, God is is saying we must resist that temptation. You see, the temptation is actually tailored to our own desires. Different people are tempted by different things. For, for one person, it may be alcohol. They can't just have a sip. They, 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 they drink to the place of drunkenness and they can't stop. For somebody else, it's, it, it's something different. We all have different things, different temptations, things that, that lead us down these crazy paths. What's a temptation for one isn't a temptation for another. And in fact, as believers, sometimes we will judge somebody based on the struggle that they're having because we don't struggle with that. And that isn't right. It isn't right. Just because I don't struggle with this one thing doesn't mean I should be judging the person who is struggling with that one thing. We should be pointing that person to Jesus and loving them back into a relationship with the Lord so that they can find freedom and healing and restoration. I mean, think about it. If you started going down the path that you know you shouldn't be going down, do you want someone to point a finger at you and judge you? No, you want someone to put their arm around you and say, hey, come on, man. Listen, God still loves you. He still has forgiven you. He, he, he wants you to be, find freedom from this thing that you're struggling with. You know, that's the response that we should be having is bringing people back to Jesus so that they can find freedom and healing and forgiveness. Temptation will wear a mask. You see, drawn away, enticed, those are actually like hunting and fishing terms. I'm not much of a fisherman. Um, I like going out on the boat, but I don't really like catching the fish. I'm not much of a hunter, but I like to go out and shoot guns, but I don't really like to kill things. It's just not my thing. I like to go to the store and buy it done. But, but when, you, when you have the, the fishing, if you just drop a hook into the water, you're not going to catch anything. It's not until you put something nice and juicy like a piece of cheese on that thing and you drop it in there that the fish finally bite. Your temptation will be wrapped in your flavor of cheese. It's, te- it's tailored to your own desire and it wears a mask. In fact, we see in verse 14 that, and 15, that, that there's a pattern here. You see, temptation leads to desire. Desire leads to sin, and sin leads to death. Temptation rarely arrives in the form of its grandchildren. Sin rarely arrives in the form of death waiting for you to bite on. It always arrives in the package of temptation. Sin is attractive. You know why it's attractive? Because we're not fully redeemed yet. As followers of Christ, God is is taking us from glory to glory, it says. And as followers of Christ, he's reforming our character. As followers of Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, this is part of the journey. As you're following Christ and as, as you are following what he's doing, he starts to refine you and shape you more and more into being Christ-like. That, that's the journey. That's what we're on together as believers and followers of Jesus is that we're, we're actually allowing God, humbling ourselves and allowing God to mold us more into his image. Well, we're not there yet. 
And because we're not there yet, there are still things that tempt us in our old nature. Tempt us in, in who we used to be, not who we're going to be. Because I ain't where I used to be. I'm not where I'm going to be yet, but I'm not where I used to be. Things are getting better. I'm on this journey. The path is moving forward. But the temptation wants to tempt you from the past you've come from, not the future that you're headed toward. Point number three is this is God changes our nature. God changes our nature. See, the source of our problem is our nature. Apart from Christ, we aren't wise enough to see the poison of sin. Truthfully, even if we did see the poison of sin, we would still rebel. By nature, we hate we hate what we should love, and we love what we should hate. You see, God's in the business of changing our natures and restoring our desires. God is in the freedom business. God is in the freedom business. We all have things that we get hung up on from time to time. Listen, he's in the business of setting us free. He said, he said that. I came here to bring freedom to the captives. And maybe you're not locked up in jail. I mean, you're not because <laughs> you're here. But, but you know what I mean? Like you think captives, I'm like stuck in something. Well, maybe you're stuck in a way of thinking. Maybe you're stuck in gossiping. Maybe you're, maybe you're stuck in a, in a hurtful relationship. Maybe you're stuck in, in, in this and that. God wants to bring freedom into your life. He wants to bring freedom into your life in these areas. Every good gift comes from a good God. You see, God is the creator of the good gift of creation. God is the creator of the good gift of a new creation. See, God has given the gospel to rescue us from death. He changes our desires. He overturns our death sentence. Sometimes, God wants to bring freedom in a moment. I have to tell you, there's been times I've been in a church service, not unlike this one right here, maybe in the middle of worship or maybe in the middle of the sermon, or maybe something going on where just in a moment, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit has made a shift in my soul where something changed and something broke loose from my life. I got to tell you, that's happened to me. I believe in a God that does miracles because I've seen it happen in my life. But let me tell you about the most important, biggest shifts and miracles that God has done in my life. It wasn't in this room. It wasn't in rows. It was in a circle. It was around somebody's kitchen table. It was in somebody's living room. That's where the biggest shifts happened in my life. That's where the things really started to move. You see, our faith works when you work it. That's why we titled this series, Work It. Because when you work your faith, it works. And so you, you work it on Sunday morning. Sure, you come in here, you worship together. We sing songs. But you know where the rubber hits the road? is Monday through Saturday. Maybe it's Sunday at noon through Saturday at 10, Sunday at 10 a.m. You know what I'm saying? But, but, you know, like when the rubber hits the road, that's where your faith really goes into action. And, and I got to tell you, the biggest miracles I've seen were moments in somebody's kitchen where a discussion, a conversation, I would walk away from that moment, driving back to my house, going back to my place, wherever it might be. And God is just ringing those words in my ears saying, I'm bringing freedom to you in this area. Listen, God wants to bring freedom to you in areas of your life. The lure of sin, God wants to be able to break that off of us piece by piece by piece. And sometimes it happens in rows, but more often than not, I find that it happens in circles, which is, which is why we have small groups. That's why we have them. That's why we have them. In fact, when you see this in the first century church in Hebrews chapter 3, they're dealing with the exact same thing. In Hebrews 3, it says, see to it, brothers and sisters. That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's 
deceitfulness. See to it, brothers and sisters. It is plural. The solution to finding freedom so many times is a plural. It is brothers and sisters. It is people in your life that God wants to use to help you find freedom from things in your life. In fact, when you're in a small group, the beauty of it is this, is that there are brothers and sisters in the group that help you, but you get to be one of the brothers and sisters in that same group that helps another believer. You see, the answer is in, is in the plural. This isn't an individual command. It is a group command. It's almost as if it's saying, y'all need to check up on each other. You need to like, hey, how you doing? You, you got to be able to find that, that, that place to do that. And like we read in James 14, it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away from their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin and sin to full grown gives birth to death. Back in, in James, you see, the drift begins within. The drift begins within. It's the temptation and nobody knows. It's the temptation and nobody knows. They don't know in the row. Come on. You and I, we're real good at that one. We walk in here. Good morning, brother and sister. Good to be in church today. How was your week? Did you get the Old Testament, like New King James going? Mm, and the Lord. My week. Oh, the Lord hath blessed me. You get the THs and the, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, thy will be, all of a sudden we're old English. And it, it, but yeah, I'm telling you, we can sometimes put on the show on a Sunday morning, can't we? We can walk in here and we can smile. And I got to tell you, it'd be real awkward if you showed up and stood up in the middle of my sermon and said, I've really been struggling with this sin. That'd be really weird. So I'm not encouraging that at all. All I'm saying is that there has to be a place where you can do that. See, you have a drift within, and who are you going to let know about that drift that you're dealing with? The temptation and the struggle. You see, the temptation leads to desires, the desire to sin and sin into death. And that death turns into death into your dreams, death into relationship, death in your finances, death into your marriage and your job and your career. There are things that will die in your life when you engage in sinful behavior. It just happens. Some sinful behavior results in actual death, death. The drift begins within and nobody knows. Unless, unless somebody's checking on you. Unless somebody is checking on you. You know, know why do we, why do we have a uh, chick flicks movie night? That doesn't sound spiritual at all. I don't know what y'all do over there. Popcorn and girl movies and stuff. It doesn't sound spiritual. I don't know. There's a hiking group too. Really? Hiking? That doesn't seem very spiritual. I don't really... You know why? Because it gives a platform for you to be able to let somebody into your life. The drift begins within it. And where are you going to do it? There's that tough question that people have to ask. Checking up on people takes risk, you know. You got to ask some questions like, how you doing? I'm doing good. Not really. I, I feel like last few times I've seen you, you seem just a touch off. What, what's going on? And when you're hiking up a mountain and the person is behind you, you don't have to look them in the eye. It's real easy to kind of get honest. Isn't it? Some of these, some of these groups that we have, they're, they're studying specific books of the Bible. 
or they're, they're studying deeper into the word. And as you study the word deeper and deeper and deeper, God starts to bring revelation into your life and starts to bring healing and restoration in your life through that process of studying in the word. There's other books in here, there's other groups in here, I mean, that, that are studying specific topics that, that we have. There's one about boundaries, about, there's one about a financial peace, there's one about these different things that we have. In fact, there's, one, there's, there's groups in here that are doing all kinds of amazing things. And, and so when, through financial peace, I'm telling you, God wants to bring freedom into your finances. There's a reason why God talks about the money in the Bible. In fact, it's over 2,000 times in the Bible that, it, that finances or material things are, are mentioned. And it's because God has a lot to say about it. He wants you to find freedom in your finances. Living paycheck to paycheck is no fun. I know that. You know that. God knows that. Hey, let's fix it, right? Let, let, let's find a solution to this thing. There's, there's a financial peace group in here. There's all kinds of groups in here. And I know you're saying, Matt, this sounds like a giant commercial. It is. There's a couple groups in here that are outreach groups. There's one group that, that they're actually making food and taking it on the street and feeding homeless people and praying with them out on the street. Every other week, they get together and do that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, there's people that say, you know, I got a heart to go help and bless another person. I want to do that. We have another group that's starting this time around that's pretty incredible. If you have a heart for, for girls who are having an unplanned pregnancy and they don't know what their options are and, and all they think is abortion, there's a, there's a group in here that they're actually training people on how to consult with women on, and explain to them what their options are so they don't just think they're hopeless and helpless and, and that their options are just abortion and that's it. Because there's lots of options out there. So there's a, if you have a heart to help those women, there's a group in here for that as well. There's all kinds of things where people are getting mobilized to go make a difference in our community. There is groups where you can study the word deeper and, and grow deeper in your knowledge. There's activity groups where you can do things. But listen, the bottom line is this, is circles are better than rows for so many reasons. So many reasons. Circles are more important than rows. You see, a drifting heart doesn't show in a row. Dealing with the lure of sin, as it talks about in James, that doesn't show in a row. But in your circle, it shows. And you're able to have somebody that can join with you and pray with you and stand with you. And when the enemy lies to you and tells you they're just going to point and laugh, the circle is already set up in a way where they have their arm around you. And they say, listen, I love you and I care for you. And I, and I see that you're dealing with this and I just want to help you through it. We set up circles for a reason. Checking up on people takes a risk. You have to ask some, some hard questions. Get into each other's business a little bit. You have to circle up just a little bit. Take a risk. Add, ask the hard questions. Pay attention to the little things. Because those little things, they, they could eventually cost you everything. You have to come to the place where maybe there's somebody else in your life that can see things that you can't see. Your perspective might be phenomenal, but there are multiple perspectives. And then the scripture talks about iron sharpening iron and how believers get together and there's two sharp blades that as you clash together, you both get sharper. You both get more focused. You both get more honed. But you are the only one that can allow access to you. You are the only one who can allow access to to you. See, in small groups, people can get close enough to know each other, to care for each other, to challenge each other, support each other, confide, confess, forgive, and be forgiven. You can laugh together and cry together and be accountable, and you can watch over each other and help each other grow. 
Personal growth doesn't happen well in isolation. It's the result of interactive relationships. Small groups are God's gift to foster changes in character and in spiritual growth. If the band would come, I'm going to wrap up this morning. With our small groups, I would encourage everyone to be part of a group. There's stuff that's real serious. There's stuff that's more lighthearted. I think we have groups for a wide variety of people. And and I want you to be involved. I want you to get connected because I believe that it's the best thing for you. I believe that you can grow more in these environments. I believe that God can transform you more. I think you can find more freedom from things that you've been struggling with or the things that have afflicted you. Maybe it's not you getting involved. Maybe it's something coming at you. But you can find freedom from these things through the midst of community and through small groups. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about how they met in the temple, but they also met from house to house to house. The early church started this way, and I'm telling you, it ain't broke. It still works exactly the same way. Exactly the same way. So we have a, this foolish thirst for poison, don't we? Thankfully, God has redeemed us from this insatiable hunger for our own destruction. We're still tempted, but through Christ, sin is losing its luster. In James 1, it says there's a call to flee the lure of sin, as well as a call to celebrate the new life that we have in Christ to celebrate the new life that we have in Christ. So church, will you join me in this great quest? Will you join me in following the Lord? Will you join me in connecting with others and allowing people to have access into your life to be able to help you grow and find freedom from things? That's the call. That's the challenge. That's how you break the lure of sin. Will you bow your heads? I want to pray over you this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. God, I thank you so much that, that you, have, you bring freedom to the captives. You bring freedom from people in our lives. God, that you bring, you bring freedom from the things that, uh, that afflict us. God, I ask that, that you would help everyone here to be able to allow access into their life by other people in the church. God, help us to grow closer to you and help follow you together. God, I pray that we would break the power of sin in our life, that you would break that power and you would guide us into walking in that freedom that you give us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I've got a couple of, of, of quick things. I've got to check up. All right, listen, 2018, we had a couple of goals. Number one was this, is that we're going to give 1% of our time to the Lord, which is 15 minutes a day. How many of you guys are doing 15 minutes a day? I see hands all over, right? We're saying 15 minutes a day or more. You might be giving more than that, but I just want to let you know that that's still our goal. We're trying to give 1% of our day at least into the Lord, which is 15 minutes. And you're like, well, I don't know what to do with that 15 minutes. Hey, read your Bible for for 10 minutes, five minutes, something like that, and then pray with those verses. You'll read something in there. You'll see something in your life. You'll start to pray for it. That was, that was the first challenge that I had for you this, this year, and I'm going to keep bugging you about it and so until I see every hand going up and down on this place, all right, because we're going to keep pushing for it. And number two is this, is we've decided that we're going to be for our city. That's why we have this thing on our wall. This year, we're going to be for our city. Listen, the world knows what we're against as a church, but they need to know what we're for. Listen, we're for hope and freedom. We're for restoration. I don't know about you, but, but I read the Bible and I see that God is for families. He's for businesses. He's for, he's for all these different things that are going on in our life. Listen, our city needs a voice that is cheering it on. Listen, we need to speak words of life over our city, not words of death. There's plenty of things to speak negative about in our city, but I want to challenge us to speak words of life over our city. 
And in the midst of that, we said, you know what? We have four core values. Our mission is wrapped around four things. We went through a whole series on that in January. But in, in that, we said, you know what else? We're going to carry this four all the way through the year. And so we have these cards right here. And, and it says 4ABQ. And, and, and I know many of you, how many of you guys have the card? You guys have the card at home somewhere. You guys are praying for somebody. There's four slots, and we're picking four people that you're going to be praying for. Somebody that needs to know the love of Christ. And if you start praying for them every day, I'm telling you, God will start to open doors for you to be able to share the love of Christ in people's life. And so that's what we're doing in 2018 is that we're giving 1% of our time, and we're picking four people to pray for. And I'm starting to hear stories now of people saying, hey, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. My dad was telling me that there was a guy he plays racquetball with that um, is, is absolute atheist, hates God, hates church, hates everything. And he's been praying for him because he has him on his list. And the guy came up to him this last week and said, hey, I'm curious about um, what it is that you believe. God's starting to soften this guy's heart. Listen, I'm telling you, as you start to pray for other people, God will start to work in their life. And he wants to work through you to be a blessing to somebody else. And so I'm gonna challenge you, make sure you get this. If you have this, fill it out. Start praying for them. If you don't have one, they're all here in the Connect Here room. And then one last thing is, and um, I know this is kind of announcement-y, but, but still one last thing before we, we're gonna sing one song and leave. But um, how many of you guys know um, Chris, Chris Chavez here in our, in our church? And... Um, and he's around here somewhere. I saw him. He got attacked. I don't know if you guys know this. Many of you guys know this. He got attacked. They jumped him and hit him, smashed him in the head with a hammer. And um, they hauled him to the emergency room. And, and the doctor said, boy, I don't know what, what we're going to do. But God worked a miracle in his life. He, he's here today. Um, he's, they, yeah, and, and so, he, you know, he's, he's here today. And he's, he, um, anyhow, um, it's just been a miracle story after miracle after miracle after miracle. And um, there's been people that have actually approached me and said, hey, you know, um, I bet those medical bills are going to be crazy. Like, how are they going to, what's, how, what can we do? Listen, if you wanted to help and support them and give money, you can. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to do that, some people are asking. Um, there's an envelope in front of you, right, Chavez family. There's a black box on both sides of the auditorium. You can put Chavez family in there, and we're going to help um, them out with some medical bills and some things like that, because it's a pretty massive thing that happened in their life. God's doing miracles in their life, and in Acts chapter 2, it talks about how the believers actually sold belongings and stuff to help each other out in times of need. We got someone in our church who's in a time of need because of this tragedy that happened to them, and, and so um, I don't think they knew I was going to do that, but yeah, <laughs> they didn't know, but we, we want to help them out. Can you guys help out with that some? Yeah, so if you can throw that in, in the back, put, put it in an envelope so we know where to put it. There's envelopes in the seat pocket in front of you. Put it in the envelope, put it in there, and we'll make sure that it gets to them so that we can help them out with some of their medical bills and, and things like that. Listen, when we circle up as a church, there's things that happen. When you're in your small group, they're able to help you and support you in different ways. Amen. So come on, church. Will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song as we worship our Lord.